Welcome to the Mind Your P's and Q's podcast with Mind Your Manners Mediation. I'm your host, Attorney Abby Godless, chatting with you about important family law topics and giving you tips for navigating Arizona divorce and custody. Let's get chatting. Hello all, welcome back to another episode where we are going to be getting into the LGBTQ plus realm and we are going to cover navigating a divorce or custody matter if you do identify as LGBTQ plus and we are going to start by going over the processes and procedures overarchingly before delving a little bit deeper and chatting specific issues that might look different from a heterosexual couple. Couple quick notes to make before we do get right into the meat and potatoes is that all of the topics we're going to be chatting address whether one or both of you identifies as LGBTQ+. This does technically address divorce and custody, although as we get into some of those specific issues, you will see that this is more likely to go to divorce matters. There unfortunately just is more potential for gray area or gaps in the law that oftentimes, I don't have stats to say most of the time, although I suspect it's most of the time, the co-parenting issues that arise within the LGBTQ plus couples, they usually involve a full divorce. There are just less occasions within the LGBTQ plus community for custody and co parenting needs outside of wedlock. And I hate using that kind of archaic draconian phrasing, but that is the succinct term. And lastly, as I somewhat alluded to by mentioning processes plural, the final thing I will note is that everything we're going to discuss is about navigating divorce and custody overall, as well as the specific issues, whether you are litigating or seeking some alternative. With all of that out of the way, let's get right into things. The very first tip I have on making your way through the divorce and custody sphere is seeking out whatever professional help you determine you need. Finding individuals that identify as a member of the community themselves or an ally. These are going to be, whether it's an attorney, a mediator, uh, extending to the related but outside fields, perhaps it's psych or even financial experts, whoever these professionals are, seek out individuals who identify as a member or ally because they are the ones who are going to approach your situation and specific issues with not just compassion, but actual empathy. And they're going to come from not just that place of good intent, but full understanding. And the reality is, if they don't even identify as an ally, there is significantly more risk that they won't be open-minded to really help you adequately address your issues and creatively craft your agreements. 
Moving right off of that, definitely pause and consider mediation or a different out-of-court alternative. And first and foremost, this is because, let's be honest, court is restrictive to everyone. It doesn't matter your demographics. Court is the bureaucracy, it's the government, it comes with a lot of red tape. Similarly, that doesn't mean that the judge overseeing your case is going to be biased. They obviously still must adhere to the law, but if you're in court in front of a judge, that's not necessarily going to allow for the complete fact-finding it takes to really ensure you have the detail needed to be creative and find the best solutions for your family and your situation. Because on top of not getting all the fact-finding you might desire or truly require, judges in the court, they equally don't have time to then use those facts to be creative. Plus, at the end of the day, judges are still humans. I know it's crazy and a little unsettling to think about, kind of like when you were younger and caught your teacher out in the wild. It's a very disconcerting feeling, right? But same here. Just like your teachers, judges are humans too, and they are gonna each come with their own idiosyncrasies. There's already gonna be some that are much more stringent and others that are much more lax and willing to give some wiggle room. Further, mediation and other out-of-court avenues really helps ensure that any potential unfairness that might be caused by being forced to wait to get married because when you and your partner first got together, same-sex marriage wasn't yet legalized. In those cases, no matter what the potential unfairness might be, whether that's that primary asset and debt division, whether that's looking at and considering spousal maintenance, etc. Whatever the potential unfairness is due to waiting to formalize your marriage is going to be negotiated more equitably, if not truly equitably, if you are out of court. Because remember, the standard in court is equitable, although not necessarily equal division. But the court is looking at community property, which only gets created after your marriage. If you and your partner spent five, ten, God forbid, longer years building your life together, but could only then get married at that five, ten, whatever year mark, that is a lot of time and property that the courts are not accounting for. And you don't want to risk that you're in front of a judge that is not willing to give wiggle room. And even the judges willing to give wiggle room are limited in the wiggle room they can give under the law. So moving forward, the next thing I will note is that regardless of the ultimate path you choose, whichever process seems best suited for your circumstances, in the most overarching sense, there are no differences. It's going to be what comes about in the nuance. And that means that all divorces and all custody proceedings have the same requirements for filing. And that means all the minutiae involved in that initial 
paperwork. So that's the content, the format, the filing fee. Does the court have jurisdiction over you and your partner as the adults? And does the court have jurisdiction over your children? And all divorce and custody proceedings also have the same course of proceedings. You're going to be called in for the same hearings. You're going to have the same chances to detour from the litigation path before heading all the way to trial. Similarly, you're going to have the same choice of alternatives before you even step foot in court. You know, backing up to what we just discussed, considering mediation and alternatives, I glossed over the biggest point to make there. Just because you identify as LGBTQ+, does not suddenly foreclose your options for the actual process you choose. And once you choose that process, the proceedings involved in that chosen process are equally not going to change. So that again goes to things like all divorces are subject to the mandatory 60-day waiting period. It doesn't matter the process you choose. It does not matter the gender or sexual orientation of the parties. All divorces must wait 60 days before they can be granted, or I should say a minimum of. As we know, there are plenty of divorces that take well beyond the 60 days. But for uncontested matters, it doesn't matter the other details. Everyone still has to endure a mandatory waiting period. It also means that all divorces require the same asset and debt divisions, and whether it's a divorce with kids or no marriage just focused on custody, they're all going to require you to address the same custody and support issues. So this leads us into what is arguably the biggest issue that is going to look different as an LGBTQ plus couple. Child custody disputes can arise for all sorts of reasons across all couples, but specific to the LGBTQ plus community, the largest reason that a dispute is going to arise is because of the lack of legal recognition that both of you are the legal parents if there was no previous legal action taken to ensure this. These cases can quickly become very contentious. The court may only recognize one of you as the legal parent. Now, all of this goes to whether you or your partner was a birthing parent or whether neither of you was a birthing parent, but only one of you is the adoptive parent. Because again, in this scenario, nothing was done to ensure the parental status and rights for that that second party. And so if the court sees that there's only one parent on the birth certificate, only one parent on the adoption agreement, this can already chance curtailing your rights. It also risks not just curtailing that second parent's rights, but it can actually foreclose those rights and make it difficult, if not impossible, depending on those other details, for that second parent to participate in decisions regarding your kid's upbringing and may also impact just seeing the kids. So this is why it is so important to take the steps necessary 
necessary to ensure that both of you are protected and have your parental rights recognized under the law. Obviously, in an ideal world, this is done well in advance of the divorce or custody debacle. And this right here is where I want to pause and say, this was my caveat at the beginning, that normally you are already going to be in a marriage discussing what you want your life to look like in terms of kids or no kids. And because you don't have the oops pregnancies of heterosexual couples, it is a much more conscientious decision, arguably an exclusively thought out decision. It is significantly less likely that you are facing a custody matter without a full divorce behind it. That said, we also did just discuss at the top of the episode after those caveats that there are plenty of times where LGBTQ plus couples built their lives as though they were married or to the best of their ability as though they were married well before the Supreme Court recognized that it is a fundamental right of Americans to marry whoever they want. And in those times, you may have well thought out your decision, but exclusively by virtue of not being married, only one of you could be put on the birth certificate or adoption agreement. But thankfully, as we know, that is out the door. So slowly but surely, we will be seeing less of whatever percentage of couples had that unique circumstance with the delayed marriage. So what I will say is that regardless of those nuanced details, really strive to protect yourself while times are good. Even if you guys have an agreement drawn up reflecting your intention, etc., the court may or may not adhere to that. They may cherry pick what they are able to use under the law. And so at the end of the day, just act early to ensure that both of you are recognized as legal parents of any and all munchkins you share. This is going to require an adoption attorney. Some family attorneys do adoptions, but there are many adoption attorneys where that is their bread and butter. They, you know, family attorneys are sticking to the divorce and custody and the more specific family issue of adoptions are going to attorneys who are equally focused on just the adoptions. Now, while I am emphasizing the reasons to act early as it relates to divorce, the reality is it should be done well before the breakdown of the relationship because regardless of divorce or no divorce, there are other situations where it is just as imperative to ensure that both of you have your parental rights locked in. What if one of you has extended absences? That might be for deployment or It might be that your non-military job requires frequent and somewhat lengthy, more general travel for work, right? It's that consistent basis and whatever time frame would be required as opposed to deployments are for sure going to be greatly extended absences. 
both of those times, you would want to ensure that if the legal parent is the one away, the second parent needs to be able to act. And that is going to be easier to do and far more wide ranging because there would be no limits by ensuring that the second parent is recognized as such under the law. And God forbid only one of you is recognized as a legal parent and passes away. Where does that leave the second parent and the grieving kids? Because we also know that in the LGBTQ plus sphere, families may or may not be welcoming of the situation and that second parent. And while this is somewhat depressing, I do need to put it out there. If this is greatly contentious, you are very likely to be litigating this. And so if you are in litigation and you did not, in advance of the breakup, secure your legal rights, things have just devolved into a hot mess, a flaming pile of garbage. It's just spiraled way out of control. And for whatever and all reasons, the court is not granting rights to the second parent, then you can request in loco parentis rights and visitation. In loco parentis is a Latin term that means standing in the shoes of the parent or something to that effect. I'm realizing as I'm telling you what it means, I don't actually know the direct translation. But this is going to be a legal concept that comes in, not just in times like these, but there will be other factors that can qualify certain individuals who have been a steady presence in the kids' lives, akin to parents, but for, again, XYZ reason, they don't have legal rights as a parent under the law. Basically, if you meet the threshold to be considered in loco parentis, you can request legal decision-making rights and visitation rights. As it goes to the terms of art, in this scenario, it would not be considered parenting time. It would be considered visitation because you unfortunately would not have true and full legal parental rights. You would have in loco parentis rights. And again, this is a request you would be making and so unfortunately is also not guaranteed, but if you are just really sadly hitting brick wall after brick wall with the court when it comes to those classic custody rights that a legal parent is entitled to, if the court just is not accepting your arguments or under the law cannot accept your arguments as to having full legal rights, then this is going to be the next best option. Now, all of what I just said behind us, I would like to, on a more uplifting note, mention that Arizona, and I believe all states at this point, based on the Supreme Court rulings, not just on same-sex marriage, but then the related cases that take it further and confirm that all the same rights related to a heterosexual couple's marriage are just as valid in LGBTQ plus same-sex marriages. And so that does start getting at these child rights and what it means to be a legal parent. And so I can't firmly say all 49 other states are like Arizona. I do suspect, but I can confidently say Arizona for sure recognizes that 
paternity means the second parent regardless of gender. Now, I do suspect that the gendered terms of maternity and paternity will always remain in the statutes only for clarity's sake to just, even if we're going to throw the traditional gender out the window, so to speak, it still places the parents different, right? So paternity is always understood kind of as that second parent. Even if you have a heterosexual couple, the husband may not be the biological father. They could have used artificial insemination with a sperm donor, right? There are, even in heterosexual couples, there are times when the spouse is not the biological second parent, but is the legal second parent. This really becomes helpful under the marital presumption, which says that if the child was conceived, the child doesn't have to be born, but has to be conceived while the parties were married, then the spouse is presumed to be the second parent. Traditionally, this was gendered and said that if the baby was conceived, then the husband is presumed to be the father, but that has changed and Arizona does now acknowledge that if you are married, regardless of the gender of either of you, as long as you were married when the child was conceived, that means you could have separated by the time the child's born, but if the key point in time when the kid was conceived, then the second parent is presumed to be the second legal parent. Now, the last thing I want to mention on child custody disputes is that using mediation and other alternatives to litigation is arguably most helpful in times where one of you is first coming out, and that's coming out for gender or sexuality. In these times, mediation and other alternatives, but especially mediation, is really going to allow you the time time, space, and creativity to decide how to tell the kids in a way that is best for your family and your situation. Similarly, the fact that whichever parent is coming out is indeed coming out can be the basis for agreements that need to carve in the time and space for the parent who is coming out to heal or at least find themselves further along on their journey where they are better prepared to know themselves having come out and getting to perhaps for the first time in their life be fully themselves and this is throughout their transition and although LGBTQ plus does include like I said gender coming out it does include those physically transitioning but it does also include the transition if you've come out sexually. If you are in your late 20s, your 30s, your 40s, or beyond, and first publicly identifying as gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, however you 
identify. That is still a transition to live loud and proud or whatever your version of loud and proud looks like. And so this can look one of two ways. It can either be giving the parent not coming out much more full rights where enough of the circumstances are explained so that things are already prepared for modifications at the appropriate juncture down the line. And the second way it can look is already building in some step-by-step phased agreements that either lay out certain time frames for each next phase or describe the mental or potentially physical junctures for the parent coming out to cross before the next phase starts. And this would be tailored to your needs and wants, but I really encourage you to consider alternatives for the creativity that can be inspired on this this point alone. And then the final thing I want to know does loop back to some of the equitable division that we spoke of earlier. So aside from child custody disputes, the next most likely dispute to arise in a nuanced manner goes to spousal maintenance and asset and debt division that occurred in that gray area where you were very fully committed to one another and your relationship but we're not able to legally marry yet. This is, again, a big time to encourage looking for alternatives to litigation where you are going to have the freedom to negotiate those assets, debts, and any necessary spousal support with a lot more flexibility. So wrapping up, my first tip was to seek out professionals who are members or allies of the LGBTQ plus community considering mediation and other alternatives because you do have all the same options as a heterosexual couple. Similarly, we then noted that there aren't really differences in the process, the procedure, the general issues that must be addressed still need to be addressed. That said, we then did turn to how specific issues may be a little more nuanced to the LGBTQ plus sphere. The one we really spent our time with was those child custody disputes. Although, as I did just end on, this also extends to spousal maintenance disputes as well as asset and debt division disputes for any period of time where you were fully a couple as though you were married, but because of the law, you did have to wait to actually be legally married. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to stay in the know. Any links mentioned and all credits and permissions can be found in the show notes. I'll catch you in our next episode.